This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching the Hash. Happy February, am I right? February 1st. Wow. Calendars do be like that. My name is Zach. We got Will. We got Jen. We got Wendy. Our job here on The Hash is to get you through the day's news in a fun, insightful, and engaging manner. Let's do this thing. I'm starting off today. We have a bit of an FTX roundup. Let's do it. All right. First little update we have SBF. He's been talking to people. There's been documents that have been revealed where he's emailing old friends and being like, hey, let's be helpful to each other. Now, this is alleged witness tampering, according to the court. And they're saying... Dude, you really shouldn't be doing that. You can't be you can't be emailing these folks. You can't even be using Signal, another disappearing chat functionality, but how would they know? Anyway, also revealed FTX has 1.4 billion dollars cash on hand as of the end of 2022 according to new filings. That's up about 19% from the 1.2 billion that was reported earlier. So there's still a bunch of cash around and nowhere to spend it. Hopefully it will be diverted toward making users whole. So yeah, lots of SBF stuff. We had another ruling from a judge saying that the names of those people who signed his $250 million bond could be revealed. So a lot of SBF stuff, a lot of FTX stuff. And we figured we'd just start the show with that. So I'm going to toss it straight to Jen for her initial thought on the latest from FTX and its bankruptcy saga. What do you got? So I think it's interesting that he's banned from Signal, but he's still allowed to blog and be on (laughs) Twitter. He can still contact people. I don't know. I don't want to hear from him anymore. And so if the courts are listening or the opposing lawyers are listening, please file something to make Sam stop talking. When I read these stories about what's going on with Sam Bankman fried I see a person unraveling. And I've said this on the show before, you know, he was at the height of his career. He really was this like loved character in the media. He was rubbing shoulders with celebrities and politicians. He really was on top of the world. And to have such a disgraceful fall, I think, is really affecting him. And we're seeing it play out in real time online. For him to be reaching out to former colleagues is just baffling to me. And I have to point out again, like I do every time we talk about what's going on with him and FTX, he is currently living at home with his parents, both of whom are lawyers and still conducting himself as if he has no legal advice, but he has some of the best legal advice in the world under the same roof that he's in. So this is just baffling to me. I think he's unraveling. And that is my take on the story. Wendy, what do you got? So I was actually talking to a good friend in the industry last night about this whole debacle. And because I was so upset, I was like, why is the court giving him access to the internet, considering that's where he committed most of his crimes, right? And the answer was simple. It dawned on me. I forgot that I am from the streets. They are simply giving him freedom (laughs) so he can continue to incriminate himself and get himself in more trouble. Every single time he sends a transaction, he is laundering money, he is doing something illicit. Allegedly, they are tracking him and they are monitoring and documenting all of this stuff. So you know what? It makes complete sense that he has access to the internet 
and these capabilities so he can continue to incriminate himself and so they can continue to gather more evidence. That is my thought. Will, I saw you nodding your head though. That's a pretty good take. I hadn't thought about that one, but I think you're spot on there. I actually want to go back to what Jen said and just discuss about like, why is he talking to all these people in FTX? And to me, this is kind of like a bad breakup, right? Like he was the king of crypto. He was in charge of Alameda Research. He was in charge of FTX. And then his empire crumbled. And now he's reaching out to all his ex-girlfriend's friends, trying to like talk to them, trying to persuade them that it's okay. Like I'm fine. Like this was not my fault. So that's how I kind of see everything here. It's just a mess. It's going to continue to be a mess. And I'm sure there's going to be more stuff like this. I'm just really waiting for the next Substack post. I don't know about you guys. I mean, we've seen a lot of <laughs> talks about that online. I'm waiting for the next issue of his Substack or maybe even a, a podcast <laughs> appearance. Last question, Wendy, I actually want to throw back to you. Can they like legally take away his internet like as a condition of his bail? Like He's not going to be doing anything till October. That's quite a ways away. And he's locked in his house ordering Uber Eats to his house feel like he's got to have some internet. I feel like if they wanted to include that stipulation in the bail, they 100% could because they've done similar things to other people in the past for crimes. Like, you know, let's say, for example, you get arrested for drinking. They're going to say you're not allowed to drink while you're out on bail. So I don't understand why they couldn't apply that same practice to him. I just think that you're allowing him to do it so that he can get caught and continue to incriminate himself. Yeah, Wendy, I was going to say the same thing. I think they can do, they can put any restriction on him that they want as part of the bail. And it is so interesting that these crimes were committed online and he still has access to the internet. I tried to pull up some of those bail requirements here, but I can't find, I think there are some financial restrictions on him. I know he had to give up his passport and he has to stay under his parents' roof. I don't remember what the financial restrictions are, but there are some. Zach, I'll give it back to you for last words. I mean, it's kind of endearing, right? It's like, I would really love to reconnect and see if there's a way for us to have a constructive relationship, use each other as resources <laughs> when possible, or at least vet things with each other. This was written to the, to the FTX US uh, General Counsel. I mean, I think it's kind of sweet, you know? I like it. It's a nice, I think it's a nice thing. You can't stop the man from <laughs> tweeting through it, all right? Like, let, let him out. be. He's already on house arrest. He's already sad. Just let him email people. Come on now. Anyway, <laughs> that's my counter take. That's my hot take to your hot take. So take that. But anyway, we should change gears. I was going to give a cringy um, TikTok reference, but I'm not going to. I would really just rather Good. talk about how ARK <laughs> thinks that Bitcoin is going to hit $1 million by 2030. And we have some fantastic graphics to kind of showcase this data because they're just not throwing out this prediction. There's actually data here. There's charts. But ARK predicts that Bitcoin will hit 1 million by 2030 because its fundamentals are still sound, which I agree. In the recent Big Search report, they said contagion caused by centralized counterparties has elevated Bitcoin's value proposition, decentralization, audibility, and transparency. I would argue that you can do that with altcoins as well. Its fundamentals have strengthened its holder base and become more long-term focused. They backed up these statements by discussing a higher hash rate, long-term holder supply, and addresses many non-zero balance compared to prior turndowns and discuss how a five-year compound annual growth rate basis, Bitcoin is up an average of 272% while global equities are up 6.1%. I did want to go ahead and give this over to Will because he is our native Bitcoin person, but Zach had his hand up and I want to hear if Zach has any hot takes on this or any TikTok references. 
I mean, I'll go with the hot take. I mean, you know that book, it's like How to Lie with Statistics. Like, this feels like that. This feels like some serious exactly. They're like, we need some numbers. The GACR, like, it's up like 200. This is huge. I mean, I have a lot of respect for them holding strong. They said a million by 2030. Damn it, they're sticking to it. A million per Bitcoin by 2030. So that's where I respect them. These numbers, sure, maybe they're real. I don't know. They seem a little cherry-picked. But the big story to me is they have the commitment to stand by that audacious claim that we'll see a million dollar Bitcoin in seven years. So that's, that's my take. I'll, t- I'll toss it down to Will. I cede my time. Zach, you're spot on there. The, look at the, the metrics they pulled. So hash rate is one metric and hash rate is an aggregation of the amount of miners on the network who are mining Bitcoin and securing the network by like mining Bitcoin itself. And that's normally like a metric that trails the port price of Bitcoin, right? Like I'm only going to mine Bitcoin because I think I can get Bitcoin and Bitcoin is worth something. That doesn't indicate that Bitcoin's price is going to go up in the future. It just indicates that Bitcoin's price is up right now and people have an interest in mining it. And so that's a lot of what you get with these research notes, right? We always bring on these banking headlines and guess what? Crypto researchers, they do the same thing, right? They're just like the same people, just a different token or different asset they like to talk about. And they're doing it here too. If they're taking the wrong metrics and they're making a price prediction based on it. And that's great that they have like a lot of conviction in whatever they're going to do. Like I think all four of us on the show also have a lot of conviction that Bitcoin's gonna be worth more than it is in the future than it is right now. But I hate seeing these reports like, come on, give us something a little bit better than just like addresses and hash rate. I, I would like something more. Jen to you. When Wendy said we had some charts that were gonna back up this statement, I just pictured just like a bunch of rocket ships and like Bitcoin to the moon and no relevant information. And that's kind of what we got in numbers form. I love that Kathy Wood is sticking to this Bitcoin narrative, but we have to remember that she holds a lot of stocks that are very closely correlated to Bitcoin. And so, you know, they got to pump their bags. I don't think that they can go out there and say anything negative about what's going to happen to Bitcoin, especially in the next decade. I think we're all bullish on Bitcoin. We agree that it's going to go up a million by 2030. Seems exciting. Like if that happens, come on, we are just all going to be so happy. (laughs) Wendy, I will pass it back to you. I have a couple other interesting points here. Because then again, I don't like statistics. I've taken so many math classes and statistics is not a fun thing. Anyways, in 2021, she predicted that Bitcoin would hit 500,000 by 2026. So fingers crossed. I would love to pay my house off. And then also too, our estimates that 65% of the world will be using at least one digital wallet by 2030. That stat, I can get behind in some aspect, but that would be contingent if we introduce a CBDC, because essentially that would be a digital currency. So that would make sense. But yeah, stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. I think the story is very compelling, right? I mean, you know, Bitcoin's fundamentals are strong because all these centralized intermediaries did bad things, right? You hear it out there time and time again. And Kathy, I guess, is saying that as well. And I think there's a story to be told there, right? The question is, is it going to materially change how many people are using this thing? And I think the digital wallet stat is really interesting because I think there is a sea change going with how people are paying for stuff. You see increasing usage of people paying for things with their phones in the US, right? In other countries, this has been more common for longer. But in the US specifically, there's recent data suggesting that people are coming far more comfortable with paying with Google Pay, with Apple Pay, with anything on their phone. And so the familiarity with digital wallet, I think is something that could be really important for cryptocurrencies going forward, both Bitcoin and others. Just that level of comfort with using a digital wallet is something that I think 
has been pretty foreign to most folks in the U.S. specifically over the past few years. The idea that that's changing, I think, does suggest that maybe some wider usage of these things is in store. But is that going to ultimately, you know, tip Bitcoin over a million dollars per coin? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Will, last thoughts. I got to tease. Yeah, last thoughts here. I think like some of the stuff is spot on. So like digital wallets, people are using that more and more. And for good reasons, extremely convenient. Like last night I was paying for parking before a Nuggets game. And we won, by the way. So congrats to the Denver Nuggets. And I had to like take forever to get my credit card out and like put in the information into my phone and then process it. Took so long. But you know, if you use crypto, if you're familiar with it, it takes like three seconds. Just like put your, your key in there to save it with like your thumb and boom, you're good to go. So that sort of stuff makes sense. Kathy would, on the other hand, like she's pretty bullish. She's going to keep talking her bag. So we'll see. Hopefully a million dollars Bitcoin by 2030. I guess that'd be pretty awesome. I don't know what the state of the US economy would be if that occurred, but we will leave that for another day. There are other shows that are very good on the Coindesk Podcast Network. And one of them is launching their second season today. Women Who Web 3, hosted by Kamala Kams Alcantara, who you've seen on The Hash before, launches its second season with special guests like Shelly Zalis, the CEO of The Female Quotient. Let's take a look at a sneak peek. I think the most important part of Web3 is women always think they have to be perfect. Web3 is in its infancy and men are also learning. Men don't know how to download a wallet either. Nobody does. Everyone is making mistakes. And that's the beauty is no one has a clue what they're doing. And so we're all in the beginning and that's what's making it all neutral. We're in neutral territory. We're all learning at the same time. Joining us now is host Cam Zalcantara. Welcome back to The Hash, Cam. Hey everyone, how are you? So happy to be here. Well, it's great to see your face again. Season two of the show, you've been on quite a journey since winning the podcast competition at Consensus last year. Why don't you tell us how your mission has been going in bringing women into the space? Oh my goodness. We get women inboxing us, DMing us, emailing us nonstop every week to be on the show. And we get a lot of women telling us, wow, I learned so much. Oh my gosh, I opened my first wallet today. I got my first job in Web3 today. They're learning a lot from our, our experts that we bring on and our guests. In the first season, we focused on educating women about Web3, starting with what is Web3? What is crypto? And we have brought on Laura Shin and Sandy Carter to really break down everything for them in a way that they could understand it. Towards the last half of the season, we addressed the metaverse and the importance of owning your digital identity, taking charge of your bank account, and unpacking the importance of promoting belonging, inclusion, and women in leadership, especially in the Web3 space. Then we rounded out the season with understanding DeFi with our very own Sheila Warren and cybersecurity. So now in season two, we're inviting completely new guests. The lineup is packed with powerhouse women leading the way in gaming, AI, sustainability, fitness, and we're looking forward to actually having women taking out their notebooks and actually executing on their products that they're trying to build, the communities they're trying to build, and getting those experts connected to the show so that they can dish out the latest alpha and step-by-step -step instructions on how to achieve whatever they dream of in the Web3 space. You mentioned alpha. You got to leak a little alpha on season two. Like, who was your favorite interview? Like, give me a moment. What stood out that was different from season one that you're especially pumped about for this upcoming year? 
Oh my goodness. Uh, season two is so different from season one already. I cried a lot already in the first couple of <laughs> speakers. So this time we want women to be listening, feeling energized and inspired. One of my favorite shows was with Robin Arson. So she is the vice president of fitness programming at Peloton. And she's going to blow your minds. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but she talks about doing epic, sh epic shit and how to actually do it. And I was telling her that I bought her book. It's called Shut Up and Run. And literally, I couldn't make it past page 17. I stopped reading and I hit the treadmill for the first time, like nine months postpartum. The listening to the podcast, if you're not ready to make shit happen, don't listen. But I encourage you to listen. <laughs> I actually love that you said, you talked about getting back on the treadmill nine months postpartum because I suffered, I had really horrible postpartum and it's important to kind of talk about these things. And I feel like we don't talk about this stuff enough, especially when we're like in this big tech world. And it's important to let people know, yes, this is real. Yes, this type of stuff happens and kind of segue it into how to improve quality of life for others and really just kind of inspire other people, regardless if it's men or women. So thank you for sharing that. I wanted to applaud you for that. It's not easy to share sometimes. Yes. One of the most beautiful trends we noticed in all the 12 first episodes in the season one was that every single woman, millionaires, billionaires, entrepreneurs, women who are just starting out, they all had one thing in common, and that was celebrating and empowering women generously and making a way for women. And what that means is, you know, generous maternity leave. It's taking care and understanding that, that women have a lot of different priorities and making sure that you cater to their specific needs and having those very vulnerable conversations. And we get super nitty gritty, all up in there, raw in season two. Like I said, I started crying. Shelly Zalis was like, look, I'm 60. I know what I'm talking about. This is what's important in life. You guys have to listen to that episode. And we really break down and we, we talk very, very candidly about things that people normally wouldn't talk about, I think, on a podcast show. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. I want to ask about like what you learned about yourself uh, during this whole podcast production. Like, What has been some main takeaways from interviewing these guests or doing the production side of things or uh, building an audience? Gosh, that's a beautiful question. I had a lot of imposter syndrome when I first started recording the show. And Michelle, the producer, is always on the other end like, yeah, you're rocking it. This is great. But I really felt at home talking to these women. I was really scared to talk to a lot of them because they have millions of followers or they've had seven-figure exits from their companies. And these women who are succeeding are just like you and me. They care about their children. They care about their husband, their families. They're trying to find love just like we are. And really, you just have to be your authentic self when you're navigating Web3, when you're navigating the world. You really have to lead with kindness and lead with understanding the other person's struggles and really catering to not only your needs and putting your needs as number one, but helping others along the way as you can, when you can, and you'll be successful. I learned so much about failure being a progress. It's like your progress all the way to success. I'm cheering everyone on. And I realized that about myself, that I love to celebrate women and empower women in any way that I can. Oh, which by the way, Cam we have some fun stuff for Consensus. Oh, I cannot wait for Consensus Camps. It's always such a pleasure having you on The Hash. You can find Women Who Web 3 anywhere you get your podcast or where you listen to The Hash Camps. Thank you so, so 
much. Buy your tickets to Consensus using code C23WOMEN for a special limited time discount when you buy two or more passes. Okay, we're going to toss it off to Will for the last story of the day. Oh, we're still chilling here. We're just chilling Bitcoin now. Let's talk about <laughs> Tesla for a second, which is, is I guess, a, a negative shill because things aren't going too well. Tesla details in a SEC filing that they lost about $140 million or wrote down $140 million in losses uh, for their digital assets, Bitcoin, mostly uh, as an impairment charge. So in the accounting world, if you hold a digital asset on your balance sheet and the price of that goes down, well, you have to take an impairment against that. Basically, it allows you to recalibrate like the value of the assets on your balance sheet. And if you're holding Bitcoin, which has this nasty habit of going down 70 to 80% after a bull run, well, you really need to take advantage of that impairment. The story here, of course, is just that Tesla bought a lot of Bitcoin back in 2020, 2021. And now that Bitcoin is not worth quite as much. We'll get one take on it really quick before we go. Wendy, up to you. Again, Bitcoin is a very volatile asset. I think it's a valuable asset, but it's also very volatile. And I'm excited to see that Tesla still got those diamond hands. And hopefully we will see some sort of integration from Tesla holding on to Bitcoin to Elon Musk eventually allowing Bitcoin for payments on Twitter. I'll take it for a second. Snack. You know, we heard like, you know, Bitcoin as a treasury asset was like an emerging narrative with MicroStrategy and Tesla. And that has really taken a big hit with Bitcoin's price tumult, right? So I think whereas previously there were a lot of big corporations thinking about doing this, right? Okay, we can park our money in Bitcoin. It's going to give us long, better long-term yields than, you know, an inflation siege dollar, right? So that was sort of happening, I think, at a conversational level. But I think like that whole story has really died away. And I think data like this certainly doesn't help the case for any CFOs looking to endeavor down this path, because these CFOs have looked pretty silly, I think, in terms of how it's nuked a lot of value in some of these reserves. So, you know, the fact that these numbers come out, not exactly surprising, right? You can just kind of do the math based on the price of Bitcoin. But certainly in terms of the narrative around this is something that corporations can hold to preserve wealth. I think that has really taken a hit along with Bitcoin's price over the last 18 months or so. Jen, last thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'll go super quick. I think the experimentation that Elon put into this whole Bitcoin Tesla experiment, as we can see now, maybe didn't work out. And other CEOs are, are looking at this, Zach, just like you said, and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to dip my toes as much as they did. I just have to say, remember when Tesla started accepting Bitcoin for cars and that only lasted three months and I don't think a single person bought a car with Bitcoin. I look forward to the next bull market for more stories like this and that's where I'm going to leave it. All right. We'll leave Maybe it not there. like this. I'm cool with that. More I mean, stories right. like I'm... that. That's good. Yeah, we'll leave it. We'll just Bearish, leave it. Jen. Just Bearish. leave it there. It's all right. Million it is dollars. a bear market. Leave her alone. All right. 2030. <laughs> it's booked. Anyway, that's it for the show today. We got to go. I'm Zach. That's Will. Wendy. Jen. We're the hash. Thanks for being here. We'll see you tomorrow. You have a great day, okay? Thanks. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.